justice or do justice. It's one of the three things that the Bible tells us that God requires of us in Micah chapter 6, verse 8. And I honestly don't remember a time in my life or in the life or in the nation, uh, the history of the nation that we live in, where the word justice has been uh, in your face so often. In fact, it's been almost impossible uh, to turn on the news this week or turn on social media this week and, and not see the word or hear the word justice all over the place, whether it's racial justice or social justice or environmental justice or the justice system or the judicial act of 1869, you name it, the word justice has been everywhere this past week, right? And, and so I want us to, to come this morning with this idea of seeking after justice, because when for many of us, when we hear the word justice, we tend just to think of just courtroom stuff, like law and order kind of courtroom stuff, and we tend to limit justice to that. But what we're going to find this morning as we look in the book of Proverbs is justice is so much greater and deeper than just one aspect of it. You see, I want to be honest also that the events that happened this past week for you guys to keep up with news is not the reason that I'm, I'm teaching on justice. It's not the reason we're on this topic. It's simply that months ago when I was working through the book of Proverbs and preparing kind of a long-term schedule for us, months ago I kept reading through the book of Proverbs and justice kept coming up over and over and over again. Justice and injustice and and how to treat people fairly and rightly. And so through that, I kind of realized that, that through studying the Bible, if God keeps bringing something up over and over and over again, He's doing it to get your attention. He's doing it to teach you something. And so we want to make sure, since our society is all about justice and everything, everywhere you see is talking about justice today, we want to make sure that we have a proper understanding of what justice is and where justice comes from and why justice is important, not just for us as sitting in this room, but for us as society. And so this morning... We're going to be going through the book of Proverbs. In fact, we're going to be jumping all over the place in the book of Proverbs this morning. So I want to encourage you, uh, some of you do this anyway, just to kind of jot some notes down. Um, we're going to be jumping through a lot of different references, a lot of different verses. And honestly, you may not have time this morning uh, to look through all of them. You may not have time to, to flip to the to where you need to go in all of them, right? We could do that if you wanted to be here till dinner time, right? But probably we're not going to have time to do all that. So what I would encourage you to do is if you've got a piece of paper, if you've got your small smartphone, in the notes section, just jot down some of these scriptures and go back and look them up at a different time, all right? Go back and make sure that, that I'm, what I'm telling you is the truth. And so the, the references, the verses are all going to be on these screens here beside me. For you guys that are online, they'll show up there um, where they normally do. But I just want to kind of give you that, that feeling that we're going to dive deep in scripture by doing a lot of scripture this morning, and you may not have time to flip through your pages of your Bible, all right? Um, you may be quicker than I am, but maybe, maybe not. So just jot some things down. Go back and check those things out uh, a little bit later. So we're going to read uh, just three passages of scripture to start with, all in Proverbs starting in uh, chapter 21, verse 15, and then we're going to jump to chapter 28, and then one verse in chapter 29. But when we get into the meat of the message, we're probably going to load up about 15, maybe even 20 different verses, all right? So just buckle your seatbelt, get ready to ride. I've been uh, at Disney and Universal this week, and uh, and loving and riding roller coasters. That's what you're getting ready to be on, okay? So make sure your, your tray tables are up and your harnesses are set. We're getting ready to ride this thing, so let's go, all right? Proverbs chapter 21. Verse 15 simply says this, Justice executed is a joy to the righteous, but a terror to those who practice iniquity. All right? And then I want to flip over to chapter 28 and read verses 5 and 6. Chapter 28, verse 5 says, Evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand 
everything. Verse 6, better a poor man who lives with integrity than a rich man who distorts right and wrong. And one last verse, I want to just kind of glance over it for just a moment. And we'll come back to these and go through them a little deeper. Um, It's chapter 29, so Proverbs chapter 29, verse 7. says, the righteous person knows the rights of the poor, but the wicked one does not understand these concerns. Let's pray together this morning. God, we thank you so much uh, for this opportunity to be with our folks this morning. And I uh, thank you so much for this opportunity to be back um, in, into this place uh, to see friends and family and neighbors and loved ones that we have missed over this past week. And I thank you for the opportunity to be away. But God, I thank you so much for the opportunity to be back this morning. Uh, God, I thank you for the chance to see these faces. God, for these folks uh, that are joining us online, I thank you for them as well. Uh, God, I pray this morning that we are in the midst of a society that is seeking after justice. And I pray, God, that you will speak to us this morning, God, that we seek after it in the right way, in the right place, in the right time. Because, God, we are facing a nation and we are facing a society that is struggling with this idea of justice. And it simply boils down to the fact, God, that they are looking in the wrong place. And so, God, I pray this morning that you open our eyes to where we should seek justice from. God, that you will open our eyes to scriptures and passages that will correct our our thoughts and our ideas and, God, probably change our lives. And so, God, I pray that when we do that, we allow you to teach us this morning, God, that we won't just sit here on these topics ourselves, God, that we will live these things out in each and every moment and each and every aspect of our life. And so, God, I pray that you speak. God, your word is so full and so rich for us this morning. And, God, I pray that we are ready to bask in its depths. I pray that we are ready to to comprehend and just digest as much of it as we can this morning, God. And I pray that we are just overfilled this morning, God, with your sense of justice and what it is that you have for us this morning. So, Father, I pray above all else that you will speak, God, that we will just sit and absorb, and that we will process and listen to what it is that you have for us this morning, God. God, I pray that we do what you require of us, God, that we will seek justice, that we will do justice But God, that we will do it in the way that you've called us to. And we will seek it in the way that you've told us to. Father, in Christ's name we pray. Amen. In the the United States Declaration of Independence, our founding fathers got together and, and they started writing this document. And they listed out 27 different abuses that they had endured at the hands of the King of England. And 27 basically different reasons that they said that the king had abused them. And and so they accused the king of financially abusing them because he limited trade. He wasn't allowing them to trade with certain people. And and meanwhile, they'd also charged them uh, excessive taxes. And they were having to, to put up with the army and all this. So he said, we've been financially abused and oppressed by the king of England. And so we can't live that way anymore. Not only financially, but they had been politically abused and oppressed because the the king had dissolved their charters. He even dissolved their elected officials, and uh, in doing so, he abolished their laws. And so they weren't able to to make laws for themselves that were for the good of their society. And so you have somebody who's making laws for you on the other side of the ocean, and you have to deal with those things. And they're like, listen, we're here in this place. We need to be able to govern ourselves. We need to be able to make laws for ourselves, but you won't do that. In fact, we had those laws, and you took those laws away from us. You've abused us and you've oppressed us politically and financially as well. And then they went on to say that one of the biggest charges against him was that he was obstructing justice. And they wrote in their complaints, and I'll quote this. This is actually from the Declaration of Independence, that he, being the King of England, has obstructed the administration of justice by refusing to ascend to laws 
for establishing judiciary powers. In other words, he's standing in the way of justice because he won't allow them to either elect or appoint or, or develop judges for themselves. They are not able to, to have judges that will sit in a trial that will judge right and wrong, who will punish those who are offended. There were judges... But those judges were appointed and paid for by the king of England. They said, listen, these judges you've sent us, they are not impartial. They are not fair. They're not treating us right. And so, listen, we, you are standing in the way of justice. You're obstructing justice for us. We can't even get a fair trial in our own place. You won't even let us set up a jury the way we should. You won't let us appoint judges the way we should. And so really, you're abusing our, your authority and you're abusing this. There's not a viable form of justice or government for us whatsoever. And so we have to declare independence from the king of England and from England as a whole because they felt that their rights were taken away. You see, they had the right, they thought they had the right to do business in a fair and equal way. They thought they had the right to make laws to better society and protect the innocent. They thought they had the right to be treated fair and justly and equally by the judicial system that didn't show favoritism. And when none of that happened, they didn't have any other choice except to say, we've got to do something different. You see, the reason they thought they had all those rights was not because the king of England told them they had those rights and then took those rights away. It's not because of England saying, we took these rights away from you. You see, if you remember the first part of the Declaration of Independence, has nothing to do with the king of England. You see, they came to the conclusion they had those rights of fair and equal treatment because they honestly believed that all men were created equal and they were endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights that among them are life, Liberty and the pursuit of happiness. You see, the connection they had for their Declaration of Independence was the rights that we have to justice and fairness don't come from the King of England. They come from our Creator. And they were right to make this connection with justice because as we work through the book of Proverbs, we find out that justice is a divine principle. It is something that is divinely set. It is not a human construct. It is not a human initiative. It is not a governmental system. It is something that, that it comes from our Creator. It is something that God establishes what is just and what is fair and what is right. And rather than us making those decisions for ourselves, God has already said, this is what justice looks like. And instead of us trying to come up with ideas of what fair looks like and what we should be just for and what we should campaign for, God has already said those and he laid those out in the book of Proverbs. And so what our founding fathers were really doing was saying, listen, the book of Proverbs has already told us that we have these rights and you're taking these rights away from us because you can't do that because we have these rights because they come to us from the Creator. And as we work through the book of Proverbs, we find this very clear connection between righteousness and justice, between what God calls right and what God says is right and those that are seeking after justice. And we don't have it coming from society. We have it coming straight from God. And so I want to look at one of the verses that we read earlier in Proverbs chapter 21, verse 15. You'll see this connection uh, that I'm talking about. In Proverbs 21, verse 15, it says that justice executed is a joy to the righteous, but a terror to those who practice iniquity. You see, to those that are righteous, to those who are, are following the laws of God, of God, they rejoice when they see justice happening. Right? They are excited. They, they, they applaud the, the, when justice happens. They are encouraged by that. And that's in contrast to the second part of that proverb, those that are not righteous, those that are practicing iniquities, those that are going against what God says is right and fair. Notice what happens when they see justice. 
they are terrified of it. It brings terror to them. So on one hand, you've got these people who are righteous, who are seeking after God, who are doing what God says, who are living a righteous life. And when they see justice, it excites them. It brings joy to them. And then on the other hand, you have these people who are not seeking after God, who are doing things they shouldn't be doing. And when they see justice, they are terrified of it. Why would you be terrified of justice being carried out except for the fact that you know if justice is carried out on somebody else who's doing something wrong, then maybe their justice is going to be carried out on you at some point. That maybe you're going to have to answer for the things that you have done. And notice it doesn't say for those who are doing things the government says are wrong. It's doing those who are doing iniquities, those who are committing sins, those that are going against God's word. And so the terror comes to know that there's a judge not appointed by man, not elected by man, not set in place by man. There is a judge who is God himself. And so for these folks that are not following the, the righteous laws of God, they are not welcoming justice at all. They are terrified of it. They don't see it as a good thing at all. And here you have those who see it and those who want it and those who welcome it. And on the other principle, on the other side, you see those that they don't want justice you see, because it gets in their way. You see, justice has this divine principle that if we have any hope of understanding it, we have to be seeking after God. We have to seek God Himself. And in Proverbs chapter 28, verse 5 and 6 makes this beautifully clear to us. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 5 starts off this way. It says, Evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand everything. It goes on in verse 6. He says, Better a poor man who lives with integrity than a rich man who distorts right and wrong. Let me deal with chapter verse 6, and then we'll go back to verse 5. From Better a poor man to live with integrity than a rich man to die or, or to distort right from wrong. So we get this idea that the, the, our society has this picture that if you're rich, then you have everything together. If you're rich, you are living a righteous life. And he says, no, listen, it'd be better off if you died poor, but you had a right name than if you bought your way into justice. If you try to bribe your way into justice, we're going to see that played out in just a little bit. He said it's better for you to be poor than to think that you can be rich and distort what is right and what is wrong. Because money doesn't buy justice. Money doesn't buy your correct view of what is right and what is fair and what is equal for everybody else. It doesn't do that. He says you'd better be poor and have integrity. You'd be better off for you to be poor and have integrity than to be rich and to have this distorted view of right and wrong. And then he goes on to see this connection back in verse 5 between righteousness and justice. And the connection is simply this. There are those who seek after God and they understand what justice looks like. They understand the definition of justice and the idea of justice. And I love verse 5 because it brings to clarity the fact that there are only two groups in the world. That is it, right? There is the evil ones and there are those that are seeking after God. That's it. There's not a middle ground. There are not good people who do bad things. There are evil people who do bad things. And there are folks that seek after God. That's all that there is. Okay? And everyone in this room and everyone watching online and everyone who's ever lived in this world it falls into one of those two categories. You are either wicked and evil or you are seeking after God. That's the only two options. And when I say you are wicked or evil, it means that you're an adversary. You're fighting against God. You are an enemy of God. That's the only choice there is. Or you're seeking after God. Everyone falls in those two categories and there's no exception to those. And so part of the reason that our culture is in such this struggle is because we have folks that are evil, defined by the Bible as those who are against God, trying to understand justice. And they can't. They don't understand justice. 
And the reason they can't understand justice is because they have no foundation to build justice on. You see, if someone is evil, if someone is wicked, as it describes them as evil men, means they're fighting against, they're an adversary, they're an enemy of God, then they're not seeking after God, and they have nothing to build a foundation of justice on. They have no reason to seek justice. They have no reason to do justice. In fact, there are only two reasons or two worldviews that are competing in our world today. There are us who seek after God and say that God established justice, God established fairness, God established us and treated us this way and wants us to treat other people this way. That God made us in His image. He made everybody in His image. We ought to treat everybody like they're all image bearers of God. And we'll talk more about that next week. That is what we say. And so everybody should be treated fairly. Everybody should be treated equally. That is this worldview of those who seek God. The only other worldview that's out there says that we can have justice apart from God. But see, that falls apart. Because apart from God, the only other worldview that explains your existence is atheistic Darwinism. That you are here because of an evolutionary process. And I want you to understand what that worldview says. That you are here because you survived and you outlived other people. That's the only reason you're here. You have no purpose. You have no desire. You have no future except to outlive the other people that are around you. So guess what that makes everybody else? Competition for you. You understand that? That this world is simply looking at this Darwinian evolution idea that says everybody, that resources are limited, and so to outlive them, to make you survive, you have to oppress them. You have to make them poor. You have to step on them to one-up and to make yourself better than everybody else. Everybody is competition for the limited resources this world has. And so we, we group together and we make society and we say, well, our society, our nation then must compete with other nations for limited resources because this world only has so many resources. And so we've got to get our stuff together and we've got to protect our stuff. And so it owns only this idea of survival of the fittest. Do you understand survival of the fittest means that the poorest, the weakest, they're competition for you. So you step on them. You crush them because they're holding you back and then you steal their resources. How in the world do you build a a view of justice on that kind of worldview at all? When everybody is competition for you, when every difference that you have between someone else is a reason to oppress them and a reason to look down on them because you are superior to them and to prove that you're superior to them, you have to push them down. You see, that's where the worldviews collide. That's where the world is having a hard time figuring out what justice is and what justice looks like because they have no foundation to hang what justice should be on. Because your only existence is because you outcompeted everybody else, that you outsurvived everybody else, because you, you were able to, to gather more resources, hold more resources, and live on longer than anybody else. In fact, it's illustrated beautifully. In Proverbs 13, verse 26, look at this. It says, An uncultivated field of the poor yields abundant food, but without justice it is swept away. Now, let's talk just a minute about this idea of of an uncultivated field. We know what that looks like around here. It's a field that's not been tilled up. It's a field that, that isn't planted. It's one that's not been made ready for crops. All right? So how would a poor person have that? They inherited, but what it really means is they don't have the money to till the ground, to work the ground. Either they they have the land, but they don't have an ox, they they can't afford the plow, or they can't afford to pay somebody to to do that for them, or maybe they can't afford the seed. And for some of you guys that are farmers, you know what it costs to work the land. 
You know what it costs to, to buy the equipment to do that. And I'm going to tell you that your tractors are expensive, but their ox were expensive too in those days. All right? Seed was just as expensive then as it is now. Right? It didn't come free. But I want you to see the justice of God and how deep it is. He says, even if you are so poor that you can't work the land, God will still provide for you. There will still be an abundance of food from that field for you. Now, I want to make something clear as well. That when the Bible talks about, and Proverbs specifically talks about those that are poor, it doesn't talk about, it's not someone who is sitting with a field who has the resources but doesn't want to do the work. You see, that's different. That's lazy. That's a whole different topic that we're going to come up because that comes up over and over and over again in the Proverbs. All right? There's a huge difference between being poor and cannot do and being lazy and will not do. All right? Now, being lazy will always lead to poverty, but poverty is not always the result of being lazy. Right? There's a difference in those two things. There's a difference in the way those two are approached. And the Bible deals with them very differently. In fact, this passage deals with them very differently. Right? So when it addresses the poor, it's someone who cannot plow their field. They cannot cultivate their field. And notice what it says. The justice of God runs so deep that if you were destitute, that all you had was the land, the land would provide enough food for you. It would be enough for you to survive. Well, why doesn't it? Because the injustice of people sweep it away. You see, that's the Darwinian evolution. That is the everyone else's competition for me. And if there's an open field there that's got food in it, it's mine because that person doesn't deserve it. I did my job. Now I'm going to go get their reward from it. All right? See, there's a difference in the way we view the world versus the way everybody else views the world. And so the greatest struggle of our time is that the world is trying to cry out for justice, but they are trying to divorce the idea from themselves, and they're trying to divorce the idea from this idea that God is the author of what it means to be just and what it means to be fair. The world is trying to, to cry out for justice, but they don't understand that you cannot have justice without seeking after Him. What you have is an attempt to, to justify yourself. What you have is an attempt to, to define justice yourself. And let's be honest, we are always going to define justice in a way that benefits ourselves. Whether it's ourselves as a culture, whether it's ourselves as a nation, whether it's ourselves as a race, whether it's ourselves as a gender, whether it's ourselves as a society, a community, we're always going to define justice in a way that benefits us. And I tell you that honestly because there are folks that share my race and my gender and, and my community and my society that don't understand justice either. Because they're going to define it in a way that justifies their actions and nobody else's. They're going to define it in a way that says that, that we are right and everybody else is wrong. You see, they are going to fit exactly what Proverbs 29 verse 7. They don't understand because they don't understand the concerns of the poor and the oppressed. Proverbs 29 verse 7 says, The righteous person knows the rights of the poor, but the wicked one does not understand these concerns. You see, the wicked, the evil, they don't understand the rights of the poor. They don't understand that justice, because they have a different worldview that they're trying to fit this into. They have a worldview that says everybody is against me and everyone is against each other, and so I've got to get what I can, can what I get, and sit on the can. That's my job, because that makes me survivable. That makes me pass on my genes to the next generation. It is survival of the fittest, and everybody has to fight for what you get. Versus... The worldview of those who seek after God says you take care of the poor. You take care of those who cannot take care of themselves. You take care of those who are oppressed. And you stand up for those who are, are, are being taken advantage of. You see, the worldview that is out there today is a worldview that sees differences between every person and every group that's out there. 
They don't only see the difference, they exploit the differences, and they find that there's a reason to compete with these differences. And every difference is a reason to have competition with another person or another group. You see, it's very different than the justice of the Bible. You see, the justice of the Bible, it sees differences between people, absolutely. It celebrates those differences. But when we tell you the justice of the Bible goes beyond that because it sees not only just the differences, but it sees the unity that within all humanity because we are all created by one God. We're all created by the Creator with certain unable rights. The divine justice is one that sees differences but celebrates those differences and enjoys those differences because it was made by the God who created us. See, divine justice doesn't look for us to, to be in competition with each other. It is one who looks at us and says we are co-equals and we have the same creator. And so justice that is built on that principle will survive and thrive and it will build up a society. But a society that tries to define justice in any other terms beside what God says is just and fair is never going to last. And it's going to tear that society apart Further and further and further. Because it's all about differences and it's all about competition. It's all about stepping on those who are poor and making them poor. And stepping on those who are oppressed and oppressing them further. So that you are better than them. And the justice of God says that's not at all the case. You see, the divine justice, our divine principle of justice, is that everyone is created equal. That everyone has a right to be fair and treated the way they should be treated. Is that everyone is carrying the image of their Creator in them and through them. And we should treat everyone the exact same way. You see, the divine principle of justice is essential to everything we do. It is essential to the culture we live in and to the, to the society that we are striving to live through. You see, the divine principle calls us to seek after those who are low and those who need our assistance. Divine justice causes us to seek out and to help those and through the book of Proverbs, it tells us how to live this situation out. And specifically, three different areas, it tells us what is essential to. And the first area that divine justice is essential to is in how we do business with one another. How we interact with one another on a, on a business and financial aspect. And there's a couple different times that, throughout the book of Proverbs that we see that you should, not be, uh, or you should not be unjust and treat others in a way that you take advantage of them to better yourself. And one of those places... It's chapter 23, verse 10. All right, and here's where we're going to just start rolling through some Scripture. In chapter 23, verse 10, it says, Do not remove an ancient boundary marker, and don't encroach on the field of the fatherless. You see, when Israel first moved into the land, into the promised land, they divided the land up into the tribes. All right? There were 12 tribes, and this tribe got this land, this tribe got this land, this tribe got that. So they divided them up that way. And then within those tribes were different families. And this family got that part of land, this family got this part of land, that family got that part of land. And then to make sure those families knew where their land started and the other land ended, they put up boundaries. And their boundaries were kind of like what we do today with survey markers. Except survey markers today are like this big metal rod you drive in the ground. It's got this pink tape on it. You guys have driven down the road. You've seen those. If not, come through our neighborhood. The West Campus of Cornerstone. And you'll see some across the road from us. There's survey markers there. They didn't use pink tape. They didn't use metal rods. What they did was they stacked up rocks. Right? Which is kind of a cool way. We're just going to stack up rocks, and then we're going to tell everybody, this is the corner of our property. Right? And then all four of us who, this is the corner of our property, we're going to know, this is the corner of our property. And so then it's my job as a father to make sure that my sons and my kids know, this stack of rocks here, this is the corner of our property. We own everything from here to there. We don't own anything across there. You go across there, you're in trouble. 
right? But we own to this stack of rocks. And then we own to another stack of rocks somewhere over there. You see, the only difference between their survey system and our survey system is they didn't register theirs at the registers of deeds and have this legal document that backed them up. Which made it really easy to cheat the system because what you would do is in the middle of the night you'd go to the stack of rocks and when nobody else was around you just pick them up and move them, right? And so today I'm going to pick this stack of rocks up and I'm going to move them from this spot and I'm going to shift them about ten feet over here. So now we own ten more feet, and then in a couple of weeks I'm going to pick those stack of rocks up and I'm going to move them all the way over here to ten more feet. And you could do that for a really long time before anybody noticed. And in fact, if you did it for a long time, they wouldn't notice because it just moved a little bit each time. And if you could really do that to someone who didn't have an older generation in front of them who said, no, you moved our rocks. You moved the boundary markers. You're cheating the system. And so notice what that verse says. Do not encroach on the field of the fatherless. So you see, the fatherless didn't have someone to come and say, hey, this stack of rocks, this is our corner. This is what we own and nobody else owns this except us. Right? And, and we did this growing up. We knew where our boundaries were. We knew where our land ended ended and where it began and we knew like you stood right here at this stop and you look straight that way and you see that big oak tree our land goes right through the middle of that oak tree we own everything to the left of it nothing to the right of it don't go to the right that lady's mean she'll get on to you okay that's what we did and, and my dad did that and so when i have a generation that's coming after me i'm going to do that for them this is our land we own this and we don't own anything else don't get on that land they'll get on to you this is what we do right but if i wasn't here who's going to do that for our kids and so the encroach on the land of the fathers is simply that you took those rocks because no one told that young man where his rocks were supposed to be, and so he had no idea. And so you literally could take over half of their possessions, and there was nobody to defend him. There was nobody older to say, hey, no, that's not right. Our rocks were next to the big oak tree. And the big oak tree's been there for 100 years. You moved our rocks. And so he says, listen, it's not right for you to encroach on this field. It's not right for you to take advantage of someone who can't defend themselves. It's not right for you to take advantage of someone for your personal gain and for you to move those boundaries. So respect the boundaries and don't exploit people for the situation they're in. You see, just the just God expects His people to be just and fair, not just out in the field, but when they start to buy and sell goods as well. See, we look at Proverbs chapter 16, verse 11. And we find out that honesty plays out in all of our dealings, not just in our land situations. And so Proverbs 16, verse 11 says, The honest balances and scales are the Lord's, and all the weights in the bag are His concerns. Now, some of you are not going to understand this at all because you grew up in a digital age and you, you, don't, you don't understand this, okay? But let me take some of us back to a little bit older. And some of you maybe, uh, there are some grocery stores that still do this, I think. But when I was a kid, me and my brother used to get in trouble almost every time we went to the grocery store with my mom and my grandma. Because when you go through the produce section, there was this toy that was hanging down there, all right? And we thought it was a toy, but apparently it was not. My grandma and mom made sure we knew that it was not a toy. But it was this, like, metal basket. And what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to put your produce in this metal basket and weigh it because that metal basket was attached to this big thing that looked like a clock, all right? And that when you put produce in there, it kind of moved the arm and told you how much it weighed. It was also fun as a kid to, like, go up there and try to pull on that thing and see how much, how strong you were, all right? See if it could weigh you versus a tomato, all right? And Mama and Grandma did not appreciate that at all, all right? And I'm going to tell you that my backside learned very quickly you don't mess with the scales at the grocery store. Now, part of the reason Mom and Grandma didn't appreciate that at all was because Mom and Grandma grew up working in a grocery store. In fact, Grandma and Grandpa owned a little small grocery store about half the size of this room that we're in right now. And so they understood those scales are important. Because if those scales are not right, 
when someone comes to buy something, somebody's getting cheated. Either the person buying something is getting cheated or the person that owns the business is getting cheated because they're not getting what they paid for or they're paying for too much of something. It also made a difference when the inspector came by and said, your scales are not right, and so you get a fine for so many thousands of dollars because your scales were not right. It was important that the balance was right, the scales were right, even before then. So let me take you back to a little further back in time before they had the cool toy in the produce section, the way that you balanced out and the way that you weighed things was simply you had a scale, you had a balance, right? And you would put your grain on one side of it, and then on the other side of it, you would add weights to it, right? And people who were, were in the trade or in trade business, they would carry this bag of weights, and so they'd start with a five-pound weight, and they'd put that on there. And then they'd start adding smaller weights, and then add one-pound weights and half-pound weights. And you kept adding weight until those both sides equaled out to each other. And some of you grew up and you've been to science class, you've seen those balances that you have to even them out and get them exactly right. right? So the way you cheat the system in those days was that you, you cut the weights in half. And so they're, they're getting more grain or they're getting less grain than you should. Right? So you're not giving a five-pound weight, instead you're giving two or four pounds weight. You just shave a little bit off. Right? So what he's saying in this passage is that, that honest balance and scales, these are from the Lord. That you need to be honest in the way that you are carrying out the weights and scales. That when you're buying and selling, you make sure you're honest in what you do. But I want you to notice what he says at the very end of the verse. He doesn't just say the weights in the bag are his concerns. There's a little word in there, a three-little-letter word that makes a huge difference. All the weights are his concerns. All of them. Now understand that this weight, this bag of weights had huge weights in them. Ten pounds, five pounds, one pound, half a pound. Do you notice what that verse says? All the weights are his concern. He's just as concerned about the half pound weight as he is the ten pound weight. Why? Because if you're going to cheat on a half pound, you're going to cheat on ten pounds. If you're going to do things illegal on a five pound scale, you're going to do things illegal on a ten pound scale. Folks that get in trouble for embezzling money, they don't plan on embezzling thousands of dollars. You know what? It's just $5. It's just $10. It's just a little bit here. It's just a little bit there. And then all of a sudden, over time, it becomes really easy to them. And they fall in this trap. And so they embezzle thousands of dollars. But it started so small. You see, divine justice tells us that we are honest in every dealing that we do, in every situation, because all of it is under His watchful eye. All of it is important to Him. It's not just the big stuff, it's the small stuff. And so biblical justice requires that we are honest in our business dealings, in the way that we treat people, in the way that we move, in the way that we interact with people, in the way that we conduct our business dealings. But it's also essential to the way we conduct ourselves in kind of civil authority in the judicial system. You see, our judicial system is in place to ensure that justice and fairness happens. Right? For, for those that are here on earth, our judicial system is here to protect the innocent but punish those that are guilty. It's here to make society safe for those who want to do harm to others. And there are several passages, and, and like I said, we're just going to roll through a bunch of these, so you may just jot them down and come back to them later. There are several passages that deal with kind of a judicial setting. Right? And I'll be honest with you, I don't spend a lot of time in a courtroom, but I've seen a lot of court shows. Okay? And so I feel like I'm somewhat an expert because I've watched Law and Order like tons of times. Right? And you notice in Law and Order, one of the first things that people have to do when they're called as a witness is they have to stand up there and they have to, they have to put their hand on the Bible. I think they got rid of that part because they don't like putting the Bible on TV anymore. But you, you have to go in there and you have to put your hand on the Bible. 
And the bailiff would swear you in as a witness. And the swearing in would simply would somewhat be along the lines of saying that, that you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so we help you God. All right? Now, let's be honest. If you don't believe in God, you don't believe in that Bible, there's really not much binding you at that moment. Right? Because so help you God that doesn't exist doesn't really matter. But for us who seek after God, that's a huge statement. For us who seek after God and seek justice the way justice should be done, that's a very powerful statement. Let me show you why that, power, that statement is so powerful. In Proverbs chapter 19, verse 5, let's look at this. It says, A false witness will not go unpunished. The one who utter lies will not escape. See, you can lie in court all you want to. And you might can get by with it. They got this other charge called perjury that will come after you later, but you may can get by with it. But guess what? The Word of God is always true, and the lying lips will not go unpunished. The false witness who stands in that booth and says, So help me, God, you better be pleading for God's help. Because he says that he will follow up with punishment. In verse, chapter 19, verse 28, it says, A worthless witness mocks justice, and a wicked man swallows iniquities. You see, a worthless witness is a little different than someone who is a false witness. A false witness is going to tell lies, but a worthless witness, they're not concerned at all with truth. They're not concerned at all with justice. They're going to lie because they're going to leave part of the story out, the story that makes them look bad. Or they're going to lie intentionally to make themselves look better or to get somebody off. Right? These are the, the, um, the witnesses that were paid at the trial of Jesus. These are the witnesses that were paid. And so there are professional witnesses that you could pay in those days. Oh yeah, I saw it. This is exactly what happened. Then right? after you go to those courtrooms and you see that same witness who happened to see all the same stuff in all the same places, eventually their word becomes worthless. And what you're doing is you're mocking justice. You're trying to obstruct justice. You're standing in the way of justice. Let me give you one more. In chapter 24, verse 29, says, Don't testify against your neighbor without cause. Don't deceive with your lips. You see, witnesses have to take that oath. And for us that understand justice, we take that oath very seriously because we understand that a false witness doesn't go unpunished. We understand that a worthless witness mocks the justice of God and mocks the face of God Himself. But see, the witnesses are not the only ones that take the oath. Again, I'm not an expert, but I've seen Law and Order and I've seen a couple of cop shows. There's another oath that happens, and it's the folks that sit in the jury box. You see, the jury box is the people who make the decision between right and wrong, between innocent and guilty, when the judge is not the one who does it. And so the trial starts with the bailiff standing up and all the jurors standing up, and they take this oath, and the oath is something like this. It says, I do solemnly swear or affirm that I will truly listen to this case and render a true verdict and a fair sentence as to this defendant. Now, the wording may be different in different states and different places, and it may not even be that at all. That's just what I found on the Law and Order episode that I watched. But actually, it's, I found that online. Just kidding. Um, but see, there are two verses in Proverbs that deal with the idea that not just the witnesses have to be honest, but the people who are making the decisions have to be honest in what they are doing. So Proverbs chapter 17, uh, verse, 23, excuse me, verse 23 says, A wicked man secretly takes a bribe to subvert the course of justice. You see, you take a bribe when you know you can't win the case. You offer a bribe when you know that you are guilty and you're trying to pay your way out of it. 
You offer a bribe when you know that someone else has a better case than you do because you don't, you don't have an opportunity to, to win the case. And so you secretly take a bribe or you offer a bribe, and then the wicked person secretly takes that bribe, and then they don't care about justice anymore. They're going to rule on whoever paid them the most. And so for some of you, you're like, well, this doesn't really happen. Putting yourself in this perspective, then don't be swayed by whoever shows up in the nicest suit and the nice Cadillac. And I say that not just in a courtroom, but in any situation. Don't be swayed by the person who shows up with the most cash in the best situation. Also in chapter 17, verse 15, making the right decision, says that acquitting the guilty and condemning the just, get this, both are detestable to the Lord. And so in our situation of justice, we learn to pray for justice. We, we are the ones who are praying that right decisions are made because we don't want to be detestable to the Lord. If we're the ones making the decision, then our job is to pray for wisdom, is to pray for clarity, is to pray for discernment so that we know the truth and that we're not swayed one way or the other to show partiality because somebody showed up with a different suit on or so partiality because we like a certain person or don't like a certain person. In fact, there's one last verse I want to deal with our justice system on. And it's chapter 24, verse 29. And it deals with taking justice in their own hands. Verse 24, or chapter 24, verse 29. It says, Don't say, I'll do to him what he did to me. I'll repay the man for what he does. See, that's not biblical justice. That's visual anti-justice. They did me wrong, and I'm going to do them wrong. They treated me unfairly, so I'm going to treat them unfairly. And we're going to skip the whole court process. I'm going to straight after them. Because they did this to me, I'm going to do that to them. And so part of the reason that seeking after God brings clarity to this point is because that's not what God did to you. And if we're going to serve a God who is just and fair, and He wants us to treat others the same way that He treated us, then we've got to realize that God didn't do to us what we did to Him. He doesn't expect us to do that to other people as well. See, there's, the, uh, there's this last other aspect, the final aspect of, of what requires or is essential for divine justice is in our personal relationships are dealing with one another. See, when Christ was asked what the greatest command was, he, was told, he told us there were two. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is like it. To love your neighbor as yourself. To treat others the way you want to be treated. To treat them equally and fairly. And there's two verses that I want to show you in Proverbs that deal with how we should treat others. And the first one is chapter 17, verse 13. It says, If anyone returns evil for good, evil will never depart from his house. Notice what it says. It doesn't say return evil for evil. It says if you return evil for good. So someone does something good for you, yet you turn around and do evil for them, then guess what? Evil will never depart your house. The good that someone did for you, don't expect that to happen again. Don't treat someone the way that you don't want to be treated. In chapter 26, verse 27, it says, The one who digs a pit will fall into it, and whoever rolls a stone, it will come back on him. That's an interesting little proverb right there. You've got to think about that one for a moment. Someone who digs a pit is setting a trap for someone or something else. But notice who falls into the trap. The person who dug the pit. Right? The person rolling a stone right, is rolling a stone. It could be a couple of different things. They could be rolling that, that ancient boundary marker away. They could be rolling it away. And guess what? It's going to roll its way right back on them. Or they could literally be rolling the stone up a hill to, to drop it on someone else. To, again, set a trap for them. And guess what's going to happen? It's going to come back on you. So don't set traps for other people because that's going to come back on you. 
Don't set traps for other people because you wouldn't want them to do that to you. Right? One final verse in this section is dealing with partiality and favoritism. It's chapter 18, verse 5. It is not good to show partiality to the guilty or, pervert, or perverting the justice due to the innocent. Right? It echoes in James chapter 2, verse 1. It says, My brothers, do not show favoritism as you hold to the faith of our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. If we're going to be true and we're going to be just the way that God calls us to be just, then we don't look on the outside of what the person has. We make judgment on what is in front of us. We make judgments on what is true. We don't show partiality to the guilty. We don't show favoritism in, Matthew, or in the James passage. It specifically talks about those who, who are wealthy. And we don't show favoritism to them. We treat them just as equal as we do someone who has nothing. We treat those who have nothing just as equal as those who have everything. We treat those who should be at the bottom of the table just as equal as we do those at the top of the table. We treat everybody with no partiality and no favoritism. We don't look for what divides us. We look for what unites us. And if we will live that way through justice, if we will seek justice that way, that instead of divided by a race or a gender or a culture or a society, what about we saw what united us instead? What if every newspaper reported a murder not based on the color of his skin, but that somebody died. Wouldn't it change the way we looked at justice a little bit? Because we're not looking at what's dividing us, we're looking at what unites us, that somebody who shares the image of God is no longer with us. And we should be heartbroken by that. Not by the fact that their skin color is different than ours or the same as ours. Justice doesn't look as on the outside. It doesn't show partiality to the guilty or to the innocent. It shows no partiality, no favoritism. And the reason that we see all this, let me wrap it up with this, is that God himself is a righteous judge. The reason that we can trust divine justice is because God is the righteous judge. Two passages in chapter 22, verse 22 and 23. I love this passage. It says, Do not rob or don't rob a poor man because he is poor. And don't crush the oppressed at the gate. Right? So two things. Robbing a poor man because he's poor. Well, you think he doesn't have anything anyway, but he has something. So you rob him because he doesn't have an ability to defend himself. Right? We kind of talked about that already. Uh, and then don't crush the oppressed at the gate. The gate was where the elders of the city would get together and they would discuss legal issues and they would make legal things. Right? So don't crush them there because they don't have a legal defense. Right? They don't have an ability to defend themselves. They can't hire a, the high-class, expensive lawyers. So don't show partiality against them. Don't show favoritism against them. Listen to them. And then I want you to see what God says in verse 23. Don't rob the poor man because he's poor. Don't crush him in the gate. In verse 23, for the Lord will take up their case and will plunder those who plunder them. You see, God as a righteous judge stands up for those who are poor. God as a righteous judge is going to take what you took from somebody else and and take it from you. The theologian Adam Clark wrote this, Woe, therefore, to those who oppress the poor, for they will have God, not the poor, to deal with. You see, the reason we can trust that justice is true is not because the judicial system here on earth says it's true. It's because God says it's true. It's because at the end, we know there is justice. Apart from what happens here on earth, we know there's a God who judges rightly and a God who judges fairly and a God who judges correctly. One last verse I want to give you. It's chapter 23, verses 10 and 11. We've already looked at 10, but we want to add verse 11 to it. But verse 10 says, Don't move the ancient boundary markers, and don't encroach on the field of the followers. We've already talked about that, but let me show you the result of doing that in verse 11. Verse 11, For their Redeemer is strong, and He will take up their case against you. Did you hear that? 
the Redeemer is strong. Now, the Redeemer was typically an older, uh, welfare family member who come back and, and, and would make you pay for what you did for him. But I want you to notice in this verse, if you if you got the Holman Christian Standard Bible, if you got a different translation, it may not be this way, but in the HCSB, Redeemer is capitalized, and He is capitalized. There's a reason for that. Because the, the language, the Hebrew that is used here, doesn't point to a human Redeemer. It points to the God who is the Redeemer. And so if you take advantage of someone who is vulnerable, if you take advantage of someone who is the fatherless, their Redeemer, meaning God, is strong, and He will take up their case against you. Woe not only to those who oppress the poor, but woe to those who take advantage of those who are disabled and those who need assistance. Because it's not them that you have to deal with. It is their Redeemer who is strong that you have to deal with. You see, we love justice because God is just, because He defends the defenseless, He cares for the helpless, and He protects the innocent. We love justice because we love God, and we love a God who is just and a God who stands up for those who cannot stand for themselves. And so when we look at society, the reason our society is crying out for justice and cannot understand why we don't have it is because they're looking in the wrong place for it. They don't understand that there's a righteous judge who judges, and this is the standard by which He judges they're looking for a standard of judgment, and yet they don't know where to look. And so our job is to pray that we be the light. Our job is that we live life, that we live out justice in a way that other people are saying, hey, why is it that you're living out this way? And then we have an answer to it because we seek a God who lives this way, who understands this, who instructs us to live this way. The only hope we have in a society, in a world that is crying out for justice is to get them to seek after God. It is what Proverbs teaches us about, about justice and about divine justice. And the only hope we have is that we seek after God and then we live out the words that He tells us in these Proverbs. Let's pray together.